nauseating performative acts by celebrity racists. I had awarded Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry the award for most cringeworthy performative act slash photo op of 2020 for his fake body-racking sobbing while kneeling at George Floyd's casket. Fry's performative act slash photo op topped even that of the genuflecting congressional thespians adorned in culturally appropriated African kente cloth scarves led by prayer warrior Nancy Pelosi. But now I must rescind the award and give it to the dozen apparently racist celebrities publicly confessing and self-flagellating before the Black Lives Matter crusaders for their collective systemic white transgressions. In melodramatic, somber tones, lesbian Sarah Paulson, Aaron Paul, bisexual Keisha, Bethany Joy Lenz, Kristen Bell, Justin Thoreau, Deborah Messing, Mark Duplass, Bryce Dallas Howard, Julianne Moore, Piper Parabo, Stanley Tucci, Ilana Glazer, and gymnast Allie Raisman are taking responsibility for, quote, every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was, for every not-so-funny joke, every unfair stereotype, every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small, every time they remain silent, and every time they explained away police brutality or turned a blind eye, end quote. It's ironic that 11 of these 12 sanctimonious celebrities who work in an industry rife with sexism and exploitation of women are also apparently guilty of racism. While profiting from one of the most hypocritical and destructive industries in the country that creates and promotes softcore porn and glorifies violence, all these self-indulgent privileged celebrities are now confessing to being racists. Are they responsible for every not-so-funny joke, unfair stereotype, and blatant injustice in the world? Did all 12 of them really explain away police brutality? If that's true, they have a lot to atone for. The moralizers slash offenders identify what they see from their snazzy digs, and I quote them, Black people are being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes, Going for a job should not be a death sentence. Sleeping in your own home should not be a death sentence. Playing video games with your nephew should not be a death sentence. Shopping in a store should not be a death sentence. Business as usual should not be life-threatening, end quote. No disagreement here. Is there anyone in America who believes black people should be slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes, killed while playing video games with their relatives or killed while shopping by the police? But is there a pervasive problem with black people being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes, or murdered while shopping? Well, yes, there is. But the slaughtering of blacks, including innocent children sitting on their porches, sleeping in their beds, and walking home from school, is being committed primarily by blacks primarily by young black men raised without fathers. Here are some data from scholar Heather McDonald that the celebrity social justice warriors may want to consider, and I quote her, However sickening the video of Floyd's arrest, it isn't representative of the 375 million annual contacts that police officers have with civilians. A solid body of evidence finds no structural bias in the criminal justice system, 
with regard to arrests, prosecution, or sentencing. Crime and suspect behavior, not race, determine most police actions. In 2019, police officers fatally shot 1,004 people, most of whom were armed or otherwise dangerous. African Americans were about a quarter of those killed by cops last year, 235, a ratio that has remained stable since 2015. That share of black victims is less than what the black crime rate would predict, since police shootings are a function of how often officers encounter armed and violent suspects. In 2018, the latest year for which such data have been published, African Americans made up 53% of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and commit about 60% of robberies, though they are 13% of the population. The police fatally shot nine unarmed blacks and 19 unarmed whites in 2019, according to a Washington Post database, down from 38 and 32 respectively in 2015. The Post defines unarmed broadly to include such cases as a suspect in Newark, New Jersey, who had a loaded handgun in his car during a police chase. In 2018, there were 7,407 black homicide victims. Assuming a comparable number of victims last year, those nine unarmed black victims of police shootings represent 0.1% of all African Americans killed in 2019. By contrast, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. On Memorial Day weekend in Chicago alone, 10 African Americans were killed in drive-by shootings. Such routine violence has continued. A 72-year-old Chicago man shot in the face on May 29th by a gunman who fired about a dozen shots into a residence. Two 19-year-old women on the south side shot to death as they sat in a parked car a few hours earlier. A 16-year-old boy fatally stabbed with his own knife that same day. This past weekend, 80 Chicagoans were shot in drive-by shootings, 21 fatally, the victims overwhelmingly black. Police shootings are not the reason that blacks die of homicide at eight times the rates of whites and Hispanics combined. Criminal violence is. A 2015 Justice Department analysis of the Philadelphia Police Department found that white police officers were less likely than black or Hispanic officers to shoot unarmed black suspects. Research by Harvard economist Roland G. Fryer Jr. also found no evidence of racial discrimination in shootings. Any evidence to the contrary fails to take into account crime rates and civilian behavior before and during interactions with police. End quote. Of course, everyone knows the celebrity pontificators aren't really confessing and don't really feel guilty. They're doing what socially insular, intellectually myopic, presumptuous, and self-righteous celebrities do best. Scold the deplorables. Oh, and act. What other icky cultural manifestations of kowtowing to the destructive Marxist ideologies of Black Lives Matter and Antifa fascists are emerging? Well, here are a few. As of this writing, Seattle, a sanctuary city with a plague of homelessness, is now a lawless Antifa BLM enclave, 
which has been named the, quote, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, end quote. At the command of political leaders, Seattle police surrendered the entire seven-block area to anarchists, including their own police precinct, which has been renamed Seattle People's Department East Precinct. In order to allow illegal immigration, leftists opposed barricades on the southern border, but leftists promptly erected borders around their zone to keep police out. Lawlessness and chaos are the logical ends of progressivism. Next up, the purge. If current policemen all across this once great nation walked off the job and BLM members took over protecting our rights and communities, do Americans think we would have less racism, fewer bad cops, and communities better suited for human flourishing? I wonder if any businesses will open stores or corporate headquarters in Seattle. I wonder if any families will move there. Other than anarchists and zombies, who will want to move there? Two, there are a number of candidates vying for the title of progressive hypocrite of the pandemic year. Top of the list is Michigan Governor Christine Whitmer, or as Andrew Clavin calls her, Ubersturmfuhrer Whitmer, who prohibited Michiganders from buying seeds or paint when they were shopping at Home Depot, who told Michiganders not to travel north on Memorial Day weekend as her husband traveled north on Memorial Day weekend to get their essential boat on the water early, and who banned lawn care workers from mowing lawns alone. Well, if you go to this article online, you can see her marching shoulder to shoulder with BLM. Sheltering in place is good for thee, but not for she when there's a campaign for the vice presidency that she needs a photo op for. Does anyone think that if there had been hundreds of thousands of conservatives marching peacefully in streets for the past two weeks to protest the crushing quarantine, with zero rioting, arson, looting, and brick-throwing, that leftist quarantine zealots would have been silent? Or would there have been mass rage, rending of clothes, and sanctimonious scoldings over the iniquitous disregard for human life demonstrated by demonstrators? Three, the mob is coming for your jobs. John Daniel Davidson, writing for The Federalist, warns that your position on BLM has consequences. And I quote, There will be no opting out of the Black Lives Matter movement. You're either for BLM or against it. And if you're against it, you're a racist. You will either support BLM publicly and enthusiastically, or you will be harassed, shunned, and shamed out of mainstream America. If you dare to speak a word against BLM, you will be targeted, mobbed, and probably fired. End quote. He includes a list of people who have been fired so far. Four, leftists now want to burn books and movies and historical monuments, but since they can't actually say that, they had to figure out a way to conceal that they want to burn books. What to do? What to do? Brainstorm! Just rename book burning. Call it decolonizing your bookshelf. Oh, and when you're done with all that decolonizing, call the firemen. And I quote Ray Bradbury from Fahrenheit 451. Colored people don't like Little Black Sambo. Burn it. White people don't feel good about Uncle Tom's Cabin. Burn it. Someone's written a book on tobacco and cancer of the lungs. The cigarette people are weeping. Burn the book. End quote. We at my house just put up our American flag. I think it's going to stay up for a while. I am deeply grateful to live in America where 
We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And where our forefathers wrote, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. This is a remarkable country built on principles that enable it to become a more perfect union, as long as we remember the Creator who endowed us with rights. Without a Creator, there exist no unalienable rights. Without a creator, there exist no transcendent truths, no moral absolutes. Uncreated human lives don't matter. Uncreated humans create and inhabit a world of highly intelligent dogs eating dogs. I hope Christians who, in the face of slander, hostility, and threats, offer feeble, vapid defenses of their silence on issues that both culture and scripture address, realize that, one, we the people are the government. Two, children are watching as parents model cowardice and rationalization. And three, silent capitulators are feeding the behemoth that will devour their children's and grandchildren's hearts, minds, liberty, and maybe their bodies. But by all means, continue. Take up your crosses daily and hide them in the basement.